just like that. The second hour is here. Wednesday edition. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Coming up in 20 minutes, Clay Travis will join us. We've got Chad's top 10 games of the college football weekend. One big thing on every NFL game. Andrew Kramer. Andrew Kramer. Big show left. Yeah. Lot to get, a lot of meat Getting on the bone. Getting you new to the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Happy lot Thanksgiving to you and yours. A lot of meat on the bone today. That's right. Uh, Chad, uh, two for two, by the way. Two weeks in a row. Great college basketball in the middle of the week. Yeah. Props. Not just to the, the tournaments, but I think this is a carryover to what we saw from the tournament last year. Tournament was excellent March. last year. Very no, competitive, no even. You know, it's just so far so good in that regard. Well, it's uh, the Maui field helps with that, right? I mean, you've got three, four, really, top ten, Gonzaga's 11th uh, teams in that field. Um, How far in advance is that scheduled? A year out. I so, think it's about about a year out that they do it. Yeah. So I mean, but even that, you've got. Um, yeah, you don't really know some other until tournaments you get starting into up. It. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm 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 into it, and, and, and as you well know, I normally don't get into it until around January. So. So this is good. I think this is great for college basketball, and I I like the. Again, it's not like you're turning it on to see a certain matchup, and then the score is separated by the 15 minute mark of the second half different it's great yeah Tennessee and Kansas are playing right now Tennessee in consecutive days have played the number one and number two team in the country so they played Purdue wow. number two yesterday lost by four yeah losing by six right now to Kansas under 10 minutes left in that game number two and number one Tennessee's next game is at number 14 North Carolina uh, and I was telling you guys consecutive <laughs> games with that on consecutive days followed by a road trip all away from home and uh and then North Carolina I'm not saying that to, you know, uh, give Tennessee a banner or anything, but that is tough scheduling. And I'm all for that because your point, Hutton, it gives us games like this instead of Tennessee having five straight games against teams that are going to beat by 25 to 35 points yeah. at home, which a lot of teams are doing that now too, and that's part of the schedule. I understand that, but that makes for great basketball and, and compelling basketball early in the season, which is only good for the sport. Uh, what's good for the NFL Tom Brady joining Stephen A. Smith on his podcast recently and uh said that hey it's not a good league right now it's not the first time he said this about you know, certain rules set up to bail out bad decisions by quarterbacks and bad offense or, or just uh, poor play versus technique but the quote he had to say here on uh Stephen A. Smith's YouTube show I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past I think the coaching isn't as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. The rules have allowed a, a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. So I just think the product, in my opinion, is less than what it's been. I He, he goes on. Let me. He, he said in the past that offensive players, they need to protect themselves, and it's not the, the defense's fault. It's not the defense's job to protect them. Can't protect himself. Um but this was a couple years ago when, and I made the reference through the first month of the season, there were 500 touchdowns compared to like 390 this year to 2021. So this isn't, this hasn't been since, you know, NIL, July of 21. I don't think it's just the mindset of the player because over the last two years, it hasn't been this bad. Over the last two years, Vegas normally adjusts to a trend of an over-under. And for whatever reason, they can't figure it out now. And it's also not just 
Chad, it's not just the NFL. It's also college. A lot of the unders are hitting there, too. Yeah. It is sloppy. I mean, quarterback is. play is worse. Uh, offensive football is down. There's there's no way around it. And I understand and I what – the coaching um, aspect. And, and I do think they've, they've developed bad habits. And I do think it starts in college. Uh, he talked about college football also being a part of the problem. That there's not as many programs. Mentioned Michigan being a very much a developmental, almost pro-style mm-hmm. program when he was coming through at Michigan. You don't have that as much now in, in college. Um I love what he had to say. I think, you know, some people are saying this is old man on the front of his lawn telling kids to, you know, get off his lawn. I I, I don't see it that way. Uh, It's a lot of sloppy football being played. It's not just, oh, boy, the defenses are a lot better. I think the rules have allowed offensive players to get into worse habits. Um, As he's mentioned, not just in this podcast, but before, quarterbacks throwing receivers into danger. You know, that now they don't think about it as much because then they're going to get the 15-yard penalty if the hit is there, which he wouldn't have done during his career with guys like a Ray Lewis. He wouldn't throw it into certain spots knowing Ray Lewis would have taken out the best player in the game had he thrown it into certain spots around him. So but also, I like, wholeheartedly agree with Brady I do too. on this. It's not just defenses are better. It's a combination. I don't know if it's a combination. It's way more sloppy football Lack of development in some instances in college. We see that on the offensive line, for sure, from college football to the NFL. And we see the lack of great offensive line play in the league. So I'm with them on this one, Hutton. You know, offenses are sputtering. And they're scoring touchdowns on, uh, what, 53% of, of, of drives uh, right now on scoring drives. You know, a lot of, a lot of coaches are settling for field goals right now. Um, and the passing games are, you're right about the offensive line. I'll say this about the O-line. I think the COVID year and the O-line with the, with the bonus year where we don't even know what eligibility a player has or has had. Yeah, um, no clue. We got 25-year-old Jim seniors Nagy, all over the place. Jim Nagy in the Senior Bowl, they already have seven or eight commitments to play in the Senior Bowl that are top 75 picks on the offensive line. So there's an influx there where you're going to get better. But I, I think, you know, a, a lot of people... Uh, I hear, and I think it's just an easy, uh, random uh, rinse and repeat line. Oh, they don't, they don't put pads on anymore. They don't hit. They don't spend enough time in the offseason. The, the coaches complain about this, and the coaches will have a damn dizzy bat race in the offseason instead of using a practice day. They'll go to top golf on one of their days where the team is in town and supposed to be on the field. I don't listen to that crap. If you're not going to use the small amount of time you have, they have what 14, I believe 14 to 16 practices during the season where you can put pads on. I guarantee you there are coaches right now that still have 10 of those days right now. So I, I, I really suffer uh, to, uh, I don't suffer the coaches that will complain about it in the off season and then not use it. They don't use it because of injury management. But that's also why the NFL, in part, gave in to the players and their negotiation. There was also a win for the players while the ownership wins by adding a Friday Black Friday game if they want to and there's no pushback. Chad, it, it's more than just putting pads on and hitting. It, it is a... The, the attention to detail is not there. There are, there are aspects of... The, the, the college football game that have held players back or they're staying, there's not a ton of players that are opting to stay because of NIL. 
versus where they would be, they're opting to stay because they can get paid the same and then enhance where they'll be in the draft and virtually be paid the same guaranteed money if you're like a late day two, day three pick. But late day two, day three picks aren't starters from the jump. The starters that are drafted in the first round, by and large, aren't hitting at the same rate. And this year, maybe it's just an anomaly. We'll see. But the numbers this year offensively are so bad compared to not just Brady's era, and I realize he hasn't been out of the league for a full year yet, just compared to the last two years with the influx of talent. It's still really down, and I think there's a lot of excuse-making. The defenses have adjusted to the rules. How to hit, how to tackle, what's going to be a flag, more likely than not, how to beat an offensive tackle that's not as athletic as you are on the edge. And I think, by and large, Chad, the offense, they should be taking advantage. You mentioned, you're right. Quarterback can throw a receiver in harm's way, and it's no longer you got jacked up, right? That segment doesn't exist anymore because the NFL rules and the NFL didn't want ESPN doing it to begin with. But the NFL rules are set up to where you don't see that anymore. But even without that, they're still dropping passes. They're still sloppy play. They're still throwing into a a, over a, a guy's head into a sideline instead of being accurate with the ball. It's... It is, uh, it's alarming, and they'll push, and I'll, I'll mention this in one big thing, how close games have been. That doesn't mean games are really good, but they are exciting in the final possession. I mean, it comes down to that, are they going to go down and score or not? But score probably means a field goal, and right now it's an offensive league that settles on field goals, which is bizarre. In 2023. Well, the other thing is with the injury part of it, you know, I- injury maintenance and guys not right. wanting to have contact and do that. What's the cause and effect with that? Is it because they're not getting as much contact in practice that it leads to more injuries on the field? Is it poor technique and poor coaching that leads to more shoulder injuries with guys trying to make tackles? Is it guys are just not as tough and not playing through injuries as much? Is it guys that maybe lean into injuries more? There's a lot of questions I have about the injury part of this, too, and what really is causing it. Right. Right? Would it be better to have more contact and tackling in practice in order to prevent some injuries? Sure. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to those questions, but I think when you're talking about the dizzy bat race and things like that and, and not just, hitting as much in practice, what's causing what with all of this? Yeah, and it's all you're right. It's injury maintenance. But also um, – But is the injury maintenance actually causing more injuries? Would be my question too, because well, they're not getting as many reps. I don't, I don't, uh, with the physical nature of the game that leads to more injuries. I just don't see as many like non-contact injuries in the off season. You know, there's always one or two, and that can happen, right? But I, I think that's what they were more concerned about. If you're going to get hurt, get hurt on game day, and help us for a quarter. If you're going to be out for the rest of the season, you know, again, that's the that's the maintenance part of it. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes is playing in every preseason game. You know, to each his own. I just don't think there's a rhyme or reason or a point two factor that NIL is to cause the mindset of it. And I'm not saying Brady is saying just that. But um, were there guys who uh, are extremely tough in the good old days to sound old? Yes. Um, I st- like Fighting through concussions now is looked at as dumb. You know, like the, things change. And I think um, there are there guys that use that as an easy way out? Sure. Absolutely. Because you can... In a locker room now, you can be deemed, uh, not, I'm just not saying concussion, just anyway, are you injured or are you hurt, right? There's a difference. And I think right now there's not necessarily a difference between the two. Yeah. And, but, and, but also, like, guys are playing through some awful stuff 
when the injury reports weren't what they were. Then, I'm saying. Brady's early part of his career. The Ray Lewis era, Chad. To mention the kill it's, shots over the middle. It's, it's very different. And I feel like I see more shoulder injuries with defensive backs and guys not knowing you know, how to so, tackle as much anymore. There's the a lot of that question, that happens, though, And I, I, I agree with what you're saying. At what point do the ratings level off? At what point does it have to regress back to something better than what it is as far as production on the field? Because the ratings are up. No one's complaining really about that. No one meaning the decision makers. Not complaining about that. And by the way, the players aren't the decision it, it makers. Would, it would take uh, this whole, uh, the quarterback injury issue and quarterback play not being as good in the NFL to go on for three, four more years to where the identifiable stars of the league at quarterback are no longer around and there's no real stars. I think that's what it would take for the, the ratings to tank, honestly, is a bunch of quarterbacks that no one cares about because they're not very good. Th- that's probably all that would do it. I think it's, it's, it's as close to indestructible as you can get in terms of interest and eyeballs watching the NFL. And it gets, it's going to continue to rise based on sports wagering, state to state. You know, and you've got money that's up. You've got a, a recent report from the American Gaming Association that Americans bet $23 billion on sports during the third quarter of the year. And that leads to a pace to hit $100 billion in wagers. For the year. It's insane. But that's the, that is the elephant in the room, Chad, that you have hammered about sign stealing, about why looking into why you've got certain players not listed on injury report, Joe Burrow. Um, you've got a couple of weeks ago, uh, running B. John Robinson in Atlanta, who has an illness on the road uh, in the hotel. They don't disclose. This is why. 100 billion in wagers from by and large it, there's a ton of money being funneled to the NFL for revenue purposes and and that, that's what they have to look into it's the integrity of the game issues oh, and, and it's, it's not just I'm, uh, the, yes. the fans get into well Michigan would have won those games no matter what they killed these teams okay that's fine I'm not talking about just winning the game I'm talking about killing the teams is there a line that was affected where a bunch of money changed hands because Michigan gained some sort of a legal advantage that otherwise they wouldn't have without a sign stealing operation? The Joe Burrow deal with not disclosing hey. injury in the NFL. You have to take all this stuff seriously because of the gambling implications. Why is the state of Iowa taking it seriously that a backup is betting on his team and not against him? Or a kicker that took the under didn't actually attempt what could be a kick that put it to the over-under, hit the under, I believe. Um, the other kicker in the Iowa-Iowa State game attempted that kick, a meaningless one, at the very end of yeah. the game. It didn't affect the overall result of the game, but it affected the bet that the other kicker had placed. Again, if, it, if it's going to be what it is, why does that matter? If stealing signs doesn't affect the spread as well, or the over-under. Not still the signs in the NFL. Everything's hitting the under, Chad. The last thing you can have is anyone questioning the integrity of your games, whether it be through players doing something, officiating. It is the Hippocratic oath of sports is to do no harm and do your best and to try to win the game. And the understanding when you go into a game is that everyone is trying to win it to the best of their ability and knowledge. And if someone has an advantage or someone's not doing that, that's when you got a problem in your sport. Uh, speaking of um, eyeballs and hitting the under, 
still had Monday night. 21-17 was the final. But we mentioned uh, yesterday, Eagles Chiefs. Monday night football's largest audience in 27 years. Largest Crazy. audience that we've seen. And uh, can we should we give a standing ovation that Taylor Swift was not in the house for this? Yeah, it didn't even take Taylor Swift to be there. Was she in Brazil the whole time? Yeah, she didn't leave Brazil, right? Tour now. Yeah, so look at that. NFL doesn't even need Taylor Swift. Who knew? Yeah. For people to watch. Just need top quarterbacks, but not necessarily touchdowns being scored. Nope. Quarterback play, no problem either if you don't have that. That's right. Hey, Clay Travis joins us next. We'll get his pick where he's putting his money on Michigan, Ohio State, and much more. That's straight ahead on Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location, Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Joined by Clay Travis, founder of Outkick. Joins us each week at this time. Clay, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and the family, man. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys as well. Hope everybody's having a good uh, Wednesday so far. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to tell myself not to fast forward to Saturday for, for Michigan and Ohio State. I'm trying to be patient with this, but I can't think of a, a better, a more suited rivalry for this in the final year of what we know to be the power five. And I'm in a way I'm thankful that uh, there is a sign stealing saga and uh, everything that's gone on for with Jim Harbaugh and, and what it means for Ryan day now too, with Harbaugh not coaching this game. Yeah, look, I, I think we're, you know, heading towards what should be a really fantastic football basketball, um, you know, weekend. Uh, and, uh, and I can't wait. Um, I'm down here in Florida with my family and, we'll see whether we get chaos or not. Right. I mean, I would say for college football, the story so far this year has been something the likes of which we haven't seen maybe ever, which is all the best teams keep winning. And, uh, and obviously we know Michigan or Ohio state is going to lose. And uh, at some point, maybe we'll see a Florida state or a, uh, a Texas fallout. Obviously we've got Alabama and Georgia still coming down the line. Um, but, uh, but right now, if you project out, there's the potential of without any upsets happening, um, a situation where there are five teams deserving of four playoff spots. And we'll have to see how all of that ends up being set out before, uh, before all is said and done, but it sets up for some pretty great drama. Clay, do you prefer a respectful rivalry where the two head coaches actually deep down respect each other? or one where both head coaches absolutely despise the other one? Because both Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day were asked this week if they respect the other program or coach, and they refuse to answer that question. (laughs) There is legitimate hatred between these two men. I um, always think when I watch the end of an NFL game and everybody's walking around smiling, whether they won or lost, and like (laughs) high-fiving and hugging and everything else. Trading gloves, trading receivers' gloves with each other, yeah. Writing Bible verses on jerseys. Yeah, I always feel a little bit like I got played because it feels like I care about who won the game. And And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that perspective because if you are a multimillionaire getting paid millions of dollars to play a game, it's probably the right perspective when the game is over to just go congratulate the other multimillionaires. But I feel like if you want me to care, um, then I need to think that the teams genuinely dislike each other. And so I prefer not just the coaches, but I, I prefer the Detroit Pistons and the Chicago Bulls seem to genuinely still really dislike each other. Yeah. And I, I want 
for there to be actual disdain and discord. I think what's happened in a lot of pro sports, and I, and I think high-level college too, is so many of these kids now know each other um, you know, at relatively young ages and become friends, which is healthy and normal. Um, and, and so many of these coaches come up together and work through the ranks, and sometimes they've been on the same coaching staff. Uh, and so I understand it. Um, but, uh, but as a fan, I would prefer to believe that the coaches and the players genuinely don't like each other because when the game's over and my team has lost, I'm not thinking, Oh, what a great game. I'd like to go handshake somebody. Like I want them to be as angry as I am. Yeah. It's like we've long said, like the, 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 the NFL players need a 10 minute cooling off period, but within 60 seconds, they'll go swap jerseys and high five. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it drives me nuts too, Clay. So I don't mind, you know, like everybody gets upset when the game ends and like there's pushing and shoving and stuff like that on the final snaps. Um, I get it's not ideal sportsmanship, but it's emotional and it makes me at least know how, how angry these guys are to lose. Yeah. I would rather see an angry loser than a, you know, happy go lucky, you know, grinning immediately, high-fiving and changing jerseys. So, Clay, we're going to have Andrea Kramer on. Uh, the final ever HBO Real Sports aired last night, and the news coming out of it is Jim Irsay, the profile she did with him, and we'll ask her about this. But in that profile, he said that he got pulled over for DUI in 2014 because cops are after rich white billionaires, and they unlawfully <laughs> target white billionaires. And she even said, you know how this is going to be perceived, right? He said, I don't give a damn. It's the truth. I was unlawfully targeted uh, by the police. Clay, as a rich white millionaire, <laughs> other than the IRS, unlawfully going after you, have you ever felt targeted by the police the way Jim Ursay is apparently in his posh Indianapolis suburb where he lives? Well, first of all, the benefit of having FU money is that you really don't like, what is somebody going to do to him? Like he can say exactly what he thinks. And I think that is what uh, a lot of people aspire to, particularly in this country where everybody's always tiptoeing around whatever they think. First of all, I would think it would be hard to target rich white billionaires because there just aren't very many billionaires, period. So, I mean, I guess you could go to like Aspen um, or uh, Jackson Hole uh, you know, like, uh, places where you have to be so rich and just like kind of cross your fingers and hope you, uh, you hit somebody. Um, no, I've never felt like, uh, like other than the IRS, which I think is certainly targeting me for being, uh, for being rich. Um, I've never really felt like, uh, I was targeted, but I didn't feel like I was targeted when I was poor. Um, I didn't feel like, uh, like I'm being targeted now. Like I, I think, even by whatever standards you want that exist, I'm not really a fearful person. So I don't spend most of my time like looking over my shoulder, convinced or afraid that somebody's going to try to do something to me. Um, so uh, I, I will say, and I'm probably jinxing myself and somebody will grab this clip. I try if I'm going to have a beer, certainly if I'm going to think that I might have two beers, I try to take an Uber everywhere. Because I don't necessarily feel like I'm being targeted, but I will say if I ever got arrested for a DUI or if I ever got arrested, frankly, for any reason, it would be a major news story and, uh, and it, would, it would circulate and it would get a lot of attention. So if I think I'm going to have a couple, of, uh, a couple of beers or anything like that, um, I will not even think about driving. And I, I take Ubers everywhere. 
So if I can afford to do that, um, and you know, certainly I can be telling my kids that that uh, that that's the decision they should be making. Uh, I would say in general, you know, back in the day when it was hard to get a, uh, it was hard to get a cab. I mean, in the era in which uh, I grew up in, you know, and I bet a lot of people out there listening um, and or watching will know what I'm what I'm talking about. Like, if you're not in a major city, like if you weren't in New York. Uh, you know, or, or Washington DC where I went to college, like it was hard to get a cab in Nashville in 2002, uh, to go anywhere in a pre Uber era. I remember being very excited. I would, you know, you'd have to call and you'd have to make an appointment to get a cab and then the cab might or might not come and you had to call way in advance. And, you know, nowadays we're all spoiled where we can pull our phone out and pretty much anywhere and Uber or uh, a Lyft or whatever can be there in like 15 minutes. I think it's a lot harder to justify um, getting in trouble in any kind of way uh, for alcohol today than it would have been 10 or 15 years ago. Even I've, I've referred to Ursay as the Charlie Sheen of NFL ownership. Uh, he's blaming uh, he's, he's, he's being targeted, but also he's blaming it on his hip replacement surgery, not because of anything he's addicted yeah, I to. Don't, I don't know that. I don't know the particulars. I also yeah. don't know to be fair. Um, whether his uh, did did he plead guilty? Like I don't remember how his DUI situation. Was he pled resolved. guilty to a misdemeanor uh, of reckless driving okay. or so something. It, it it may be the case that there was evidence that he in some way was being targeted. Um, you know, based on being pulled over, and, and by targeted, what I mean is, uh, you know, usually you have to have some sort of uh, probable cause to pull someone over who was driving, and a lot of times, I mean, I take it outside of Jim Ursay. Didn't Steve McNair um, beat a DUI once because uh, there, I think it was Steve McNair uh, before the situation, obviously where he got murdered. I feel like he got pulled over and they had the video footage of him driving and there was no probable cause to pull him over. And so they had to dismiss what they uncovered. Uh, somebody can look that up and confirm that it's true. If it wasn't McNair, it was another yeah. uh, popular Titan of that era, but I think it was McNair. Um, and uh and, you know, you have to if, if you have high end legal representation, oftentimes there is a video of the footage that a someone will try to use as justification. I'm not talking about, hey, we've set up a, uh, you know, for instance, a, uh, uh, a road a roadblock or whatever, where they're checking everybody. It's like a DUI checkpoint because you can stop everybody. Then that's the premise of the of the checkpoint. But I'm just saying, if you watch somebody pull out of a place and they're driving and they don't appear to be uh, inebriated, you can beat the pullover sometimes with uh, with good legal representation. So that may be what Ursay said. Ursay did. I don't know enough about his case in particular. Play Travis with us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Is what has gone on at Michigan Clay overshadowed a possible three-peat for Georgia? Does does Saturday matter from this perspective? Is Georgia winning it all again based on what you've seen? I think Georgia's the best team, but I mean, uh, you know, Alabama's going to be a super hard game. Whoever they play in both of the rounds of the playoff would be hard. I mean, remember, Georgia was very fortunate. I don't think they would have won last year if Marvin Harrison Jr. hadn't gotten knocked out yeah. of that game. I mean, they were very, very fortunate to come back and win uh, as they did against uh, Ohio State. Uh, so, I mean, I think Georgia should be the favorite, but I'd probably only say, you know, I mean, would, I wouldn't take Georgia even money right now uh, because I think they'll be favored by three and a half or four over Alabama. What does that mean? They've got a 40% chance of, uh, of losing that game at least. 
and then they wouldn't be like not like they'd be two touchdown favorites over whoever they played in the uh, in the postseason. So I think Georgia should be the favorite. Uh, I do think you're right that Michigan has overshadowed a little bit what would otherwise be the story of Georgia's three peat. I also think Georgia didn't play really well early in the season. So I'm with you. Uh, I think many people anticipated that they would lose. I think if they had looked as good as they have against Ole Miss and uh, and Tennessee all year long, that there would have been a lot more talk about the odds of a three-peat for Georgia. And then also their schedule plays in on it. They didn't play a lot of great competition, so it's not like people sat around and said, oh, we got a huge top-ten matchup for Georgia this week. Um, so I, I think all of that uh, factors in. But I think the Michigan story, look, this is going to be and is right now the most watched season of college football on television in the history of college football. Uh, that to me means, again, controversy, conflict, it always sells. And I would expect that Michigan, Ohio State, uh, come Saturday at noon Eastern is going to be the most watched game in the history of, uh, uh, in the history of the season and what is the most watched uh, season of college football ever. Clay, what do you think about the A&M opening? And there's some reports getting out now that they might have it wrapped up in the next week or so. The, the, the need to get to the next coach quicker now in college football because of transfer portal and everything else in an early signing period, what direction should they go? What should they be thinking considering how the Jimbo Fisher deal didn't work out? Well, I think signing day is December 21st. So uh, you certainly, with that in the transfer portal, they've got a really good recruiting class. I haven't paid a lot of attention to how many of those A&M people have stayed committed, but certainly you can well imagine that those guys who are top recruits are getting pursued and were being pursued before they ever committed to A&M by a lot of people. So I, I think that's smart. I mean, I think you would want basically as soon as the season is over to get a coach in as fast as possible. And then you've got three weeks to corral the early signees and do your best job to get all those people enrolled. And then you figure out, I mean, it's a tough turn what are you going to do in the transfer portal? Cause you basically have perpetual free agency right now in college football, which is unlike anything we even have in the NFL. And arguably it's more challenging in college than it is in the NFL to, to manage rosters now. Uh, plus you've got what I think this is the last year coming up of the COVID year. So uh, there are a lot of guys that ordinarily would already be gone. That'll also still be in the mix. So uh, there's just a lot of moving parts, and uh, and I think it makes sense. Uh, in terms of what to do at A&M, um, I mean, I thought Jimbo was going to win at a high level. I thought Scott Frost was going to win at a high level. Uh, I, I would have thought that both of those hires would have done really well. The odds of there being a bigger hire than Jimbo for A&M are very low, uh, but, uh, but you know, I, I think they've got to find somebody that they believe can go head-to-head with Sark now that the Texas uh, rivalry is reemerging and uh, they're fortunate that they have basically unlimited resources because of the amount of the Aggies have richer boosters thanks to the oil industry connections than anybody in the SEC and almost anybody in college football. So money shouldn't be an uh, object and uh, Ross Bjork's got to go out uh, AD at Texas A&M and figure out who the guy is that can take A&M to the proverbial next level. To be fair, I thought it was Jimbo Fisher. It looked like Jimbo Fisher was going to do that. Aggies came in fifth overall in a fourteen playoff in twenty twenty. I think they deserved to get in over Notre Dame. They didn't, but uh, but that's kind of uh, how I would assess it in general. Clay, it was McNair that you were referring to, verified uh, by the uh, Google machine. So uh, you were spot on there. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and the family. Tell Laura the, the same and the kids, and uh, enjoy Florida. 
Will do. Appreciate you all. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. There's Clay Travis. Thanks, Clay. Outkick founder. Same to you. By the way, on uh, Outkick, he's got Michigan minus three and a half, and he's taking a lot of unders, including Iowa and Nebraska. Will that game be listed in the top 10 games of the college football weekend? Chad's got that for you Possibly. Stay tuned. Uh, We know number one. I'm eager to know who else made the cut on Rivalry Weekend. Chad's got it for us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. If you're part of the Outkick Network right now live or watching on demand, we say thank you for that. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, um, coming up, Andrea Kramer will join us about 20 minutes from right now. Plus, one big thing on every NFL game. There's some impactful matchups for Thursday and Friday. Divisional matchups. Since NBC joined the, uh, the fray and started paying more, um, I think it was 2014 or so. It's when they made the flip. We've seen a lot of divisional matchups. Not every year. But a lot of divisional matchups on Thanksgiving Day. There's some pivotal ones, uh, pivotal ones based on teams that should win versus if they lose, what could happen in the playoff uh, stack and yeah. the, the playoff picture. It's got Col- nothing on college football this no, week. Though. No, 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 it does not. College football and the college football playoff, some impactful matchups, especially number one on the list. That is Chad Withrow's top ten games of the college football weekend. Need more reasons to watch college football? It's time to bang some hats. Here's Chad Withrow's must-see games this weekend. Quick honorable mention to Farmageddon, Iowa State, Kansas State, who uh, narrowly missed my list. And there may be some Cyclones or some Wildcats that are upset about that omission. I completely understand. Farmageddon maybe should have been in here. But... It's my list. It's not yours. That's right. Here's my top 10 of the college football weekend. Rivalry weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. We have reached the end of the regular season. Football season flies by every year. No matter what, we Crazy. anticipate it all year. It gets here, and then it's done in an instant. And there was no different this year. Here we are in the final regular season week. We're going to start with the first game that's going to be played this college football weekend. Game number 10, the Egg Bowl. Ole Miss at Mississippi State, the Rebels a 10-point favorite. Thursday night, 7.30 Eastern time on ESPN. Lane Kiffin trying to cap off what was a really good season. You've got Mississippi State playing for an interim coach. They don't know who their next coach is going to be. Will Rogers will be playing. Do they let it rip with him? How healthy is Jackson Dart? We heard from Kelly in Vegas who said, look at Mississippi State possibly to cover in this one, I'm with her, Hutton. I think this is going to be a close game. Always competitive rivalry game. These two teams do not like each other. I like this one to be close. Which which team was it that raised the leg to pretend to be a dog peeing on a high That was, uh, um, I forget his name, it was an Ole Miss receiver okay. who did that. Yeah, as long as that doesn't happen, Ole Miss should win this game, in, in my opinion. Kiffin doesn't win the big game. This is not a big game this year, uh, unfortunately. Um, it's important impactful for rivalry matchups, but uh, it's going to be viewed because it's on when it is. I I think it's close, Chad, because of the game that it, that it represents. I don't think the teams are that close. And quite frankly, I don't know what to expect from the Bulldogs. You, I know you 
you would have or wanted you nearly picked against them last week. I don't know what to expect against this Ole Miss team that still has more aspirations than just winning the Egg Bowl. Well, and to be fair to Kiffin, most of his big games are against team where he's at the talent disadvantage. Sure. Right, Alabama. But the hype is with him because of his name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but this one's a big rivalry, but Ole Miss definitely better. Game number nine. Let's go to the American Athletic Conference. Let's do it. Texas San Antonio at number 23, Tulane. Tulane only a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. This game is a fr- great slate of games on Friday. This is one of them. 2.30 Central Time on ABC. Very simple. Winner goes on to the AAC Championship. And if SMU loses to Navy, Hutton, the outcome won't matter. These teams will have a rematch the very next week if Navy's able to pull off the, the upset in that game. But it's looking like the winner moves on to take on SMU. Loser is out. Frank Harris, he's back for the for the Roadrunners. Terrific, I think a seventh year for him. Seventh year senior at UTSA. And then Michael Pratt, Tulane. Great story also. Tulane trying to play in that New Year's Six game. Crazy stat on Tulane. Their defense has not allowed 1,000 yards rushing combined on the season. That's the fewest in their conference by more than, I think, 300 yards. It's nuts. And Frank Harris likes to run the football from the quarterback spot. Game number eight, Hutton. North Carolina at North Carolina State. The Wolfpack ranked 22nd in the latest college football playoff ranking. This game's at 7 p.m. Central Time Saturday night on the ACC Network. But North Carolina, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. This may be the last chance to see Drake May. I don't know that he'll be playing in a bowl game, whatever bowl game UNC goes to. His last chance to shine against a rival. This kind of shows what Vegas thinks about NC State also yeah. uh, as a two-and-a-half-point home underdog as the one team that's ranked in this game. Uh, but I really like this matchup. I do, too, and I – Here's why. I don't, I don't know what to think of the Tar Heels at the end of seasons now. Yeah, it was terrible a year ago. Yeah. And, Completely and, fell apart. And we've seen losses this year, too. So, uh, and, and NC State, meanwhile, is... Very lucky, by the way, to beat Duke's fourth-string quarterback, or third-string quarterback, in, point. in double overtime this is, recently. This is very worthy of being in your top ten, just based on what we don't know about Carolina in November in proximity to what we saw last year. And NC State capable of winning at home. You got a couple teams on my list. We'll get to one later. Two in the SEC, I think. Really three in the SEC that have a chance to change the perception of their program within their own fan base completely with one game. One of those SEC teams, the Kentucky Wildcats. And that's where we go for game number seven. Kentucky at number 10, Louisville. Mm. Louisville, a seven-point favorite. This game, 11 a.m. Central Time on ABC. Kentucky leads the Governor's Cup Series all time. 19 to 15. I feel like these teams have played a lot more uh, than that, but it's 19-15 all time. Kentucky leads it. They just started playing every year relatively recently. Louisville, one loss in the season. They're going to play for the ACC championship next week at home. If Mark Stoops in Kentucky can go there and get their seventh win of the season on the road at Louisville, that's a huge win for that program. I don't think it's going to happen. With what I've seen from Kentucky, especially lately, Hutton. But this is always a fun and bitter rivalry game in the Commonwealth. What happens if Louisville goes on, beats Florida State, and then you have a team like Texas that loses the the craziness? Louisville's going to be the surprise team if you have the craziness over the next two weeks. They could sneak in if we're discussing 
the crazy losses that could come and what the committee might end up having to do based on the championship that Florida could State some, wouldn't have. Could be some crazy scenarios, no doubt. Uh, another team that's playing for bowl eligibility, game number six, we go from the Commonwealth to the Palmetto State, South Carolina. Clemson at South Carolina. The Tigers a seven-point favorite. This game is at 6.30 Central Time on SEC Network Saturday night. South Carolina playing for bowl eligibility. They've been able to survive. They've won three games in a row to get to this point to be 5-6 and six with a chance at bowl eligibility against their bitter rival. A game Spencer Rattler shined in a year ago on the road and won. And how about this scenario? If Florida, Mississippi State, and South Carolina win this weekend, the SEC will send 12 of their 14 teams oh, wow. to a bowl game. That's second best ever. They had 13 go in 2021. 13 of their 14 win in 2021. But that's oh. what's on the line here in this one. And Hutton, another game that will change the perception for everyone around South Carolina's program if they can get this win at home on Saturday well, night. Well, and it changed the perception about where Clemson is. All that buy, let's buy stock in, in Clemson right now that Dabo is preaching looks a little bit different if they lose yep. this game. No doubt Thank about you. it. Game number five, Texas Tech at Texas. The Longhorns, seventh in the country. Friday night, 6.30, ABC kickoff. Texas can punch their ticket to the Big 12 championship game. But Baron Morton, since he's been inserted in as the quarterback for Texas Tech, this team has looked a lot better. The mid-range passing game is on fire right now. They've won games against TCU, Kansas, and UCF in consecutive weeks. Texas Tech looks a lot better. And remember, Brett Yormark, before the season, the the, pet, the pump pump up speech to the Texas Tech people. Quarterback club. What you can do in this game, Hutton. There's some intrigue with that also. Yeah, and I, how I, they could wreck Texas' season. They could. And, and Texas has – they've been able to pump the brakes a bit on wrecking their season, even though they have allowed leads to evaporate in recent weeks. Not recently, not last week, but what, the three games leading up to that? Yeah. Two games. I'm going to go pretty quickly through this one, but we got to throw it in there. It's the Iron Bowl. To me, it's the second best rivalry in college football behind uh, my number one game of the week. Number eight, Alabama, 14.5-point favorite at Auburn, down in the Plains, 2.30 Central Time kickoff on CBS. Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. He liked playing against Nick Saban. He won back-to-back games in 2014 and 2015. But Auburn coming off that embarrassing 31-10 loss to New Mexico State. They're not going to win unless they get multiple turnovers. They were able to do that against Georgia and give them a scare. In their big wins this season, where they've played close even with good teams, they generate turnovers. They've got to get some turnovers, multiple ones in this game, to stay with the Crimson Tide. Game number three this week, I love this one, Florida State at Florida. The Knowles, a six-and-a-half-point favorite, trying to keep their ability to get in the college football playoff alive. This game is going to be at 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. Tate Rodemaker for Florida State. He is the Marcus Outson of this year. If you don't remember that name, Marcus Outson, 1998, <laughs> he goes down and he beats Florida in a big rivalry game. He stepped in for Chris Winkie that year and then eventually goes on to lose to Tennessee in the national championship game. Can Rodemaker be that guy this year for Florida State? It is Max Brown as oh. the backup for Florida. Brown was okay, four for five, 56 yards. Had 42 yards rushing also when he was inserted into the game against Missouri. Huge opportunity for the Gators to wreck Florida State season at home. What happens with Billy Napier? That's just, I want to see what happens if they lose this game, Jeff. No doubt. Game number two, Hutton. Oregon State at Oregon. It's a civil war. 
Number 16, Beavers at number 6, Ducks, 7.30 Central Time, Friday night on Fox. Beavers have to get a pass rush going. They were able to pressure Michael Penix Jr. last week, but did not record a sack in that game. Bo Nix is averaging 400 yards over his last three Mm. games. 400 yards and three touchdowns is his average over his last three games. That Oregon offense is humming. Yeah, and uh, he's not going to give up a 17-point lead, I believe. Yeah. To last year's matchup in this, uh, Bo Nix can win the Heisman Trophy. Not not far-fetched, and I would have never said that to kick off the season. And Washington has Washington State this week, another honorable mention yeah. on the list. Michael Penix Jr. needs to put up some big numbers yes. in that game to really get back where you feel pretty good about him heading into the last couple weeks of the season. Game number one, there's no disguising it. It's Ohio State at Michigan. Number two, Ohio State at number three, Michigan. The Wolverines, a three-point favorite. Big noon kickoff on Fox. It is winning in to the Big Ten Championship game. I mentioned earlier in the show, 2006, the last time this game was this meaningful. With two undefeated teams, they were one and two in the country then. Bo Schimbeckler had died the day before that game was played. So much at stake in this game, the Hutton. And I'm really curious to see what happens in this one and the emotions between the two coaching staffs in this game. On the field, the game. Michigan-Ohio State. The winner has scored 42 or more points in four straight matchups. But it feels like a defensive battle. How much carryover does all the discussion about Ohio State being pushed around the last two years matter here? Because if Michigan does it again, Chad, on the offensive and defensive fronts, I don't know how Ryan Day responds at the podium. He won't be responding the same way he called out Lou Holtz. Not going to be any 86-year-olds in that press conference. Well, is there another uh, old analyst that he can re- – maybe Lee Corso. Maybe he attacks him this time maybe. if they win. Who knows he's going to go after at that point. Maybe it's Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer <laughs> will be there, right? Maybe he picks Michigan in this game and he decides to go after his old boss. <laughs> uh, who knows? Michigan. Who knows who he's going to go after after this game. And then uh, does – after the three-game suspension is up, is it up as soon as the clock hits triple zero? Does that mean Harbaugh can do the uh, press conference? That is incorrect. He will not be uh, be allowed on the premise uh, at for Michigan the three for this games. game. Yeah, I think any post game too. Okay, he can't do any of that. Any Tony Petit He will rejoin this. the team on Sunday, and then Monday, uh, maybe practicing for a Big Ten championship, or maybe sitting back and waiting on their bowl destination like or college football playoff. Like, you know how the, the lawyers after a verdict they leave the courthouse and they do it on the steps of the courthouse. Yeah, I like to imagine Harbaugh doing that. I would love to see him in his home. Uh, just walk out in Ann Arbor to a bunch of press that he's ready to talk at that point. Right? That's his court courthouse steps. Yeah, like Walks co- right out into his front yard and he does the, the press conference. <laughs> Remember when Joe Paterno had to they do the impromptu press, yeah. press conferences in his front yard? Said Harbaugh announced his back. A little bit different circumstances there. Andrea Kramer joins us next as we kick off the final hour of this Wednesday edition.